Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast, everybody. I am Dan Viennes. If you're in the Northwest today, hopefully you are uh, getting around okay or enjoying a snow day. You know, we had we had a quarter of an, quarter of an inch of snow today, so everything is going to be shut down. That's how it goes here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, funny that it's snowing today. A week from now, I'll be in Arizona. If any of you are going to be down there, let me know. I'll be watching some Mariners spring training. Uh, certainly would love to get together with some of you and uh, watch and talk some baseball. Um, this will be my final solo show under the field goals banner. Unless there is uh, any compelling breaking news uh, over the next three days. And then uh, this Friday, Brandon Schultz, Dano Gorman, and I are going to convene for our uh, last show. And the, the last episode of the Field Goals Podcast, as it will be known as the Field Goals Podcast. Of course, if this is news to you, just an update, Vox uh, Media, company that owns all the SB Nation websites, has decided to shut down uh, the podcasting division of the corporation. All but a few podcasts will remain. Um, but they have given us um, a lifeline, so to speak, and they have extended us the opportunity to continue with the feed. Um, but we have to rebrand. And so Brandon will continue the Seahawkers podcast. Um, I believe he's talking about keeping it on that same feed. And then I will be um, adopting the field goals feed. What that means is uh, I'll be out of town until March 6th. And as soon as I come back, we're going to be jumping right into um, free agency news, uh, some post combine stuff and really digging into some draft prep. Uh, but it'll, it will be under another name. Uh, the podcast will be known as the Seahawks Forever podcast, as has been my Twitter handle for the last 12 years. Um, you already see some rebranding if you're on my Facebook page watching the live stream right now or YouTube or, or my Twitter feed. You'll see some of the rebranding beginning. What it means to you, though, uh, is that by keeping the feed, uh, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to resubscribe or find me again or seek out the new podcast once it officially launches. Um, it'll just automatically populate. So if you already subscribe to it, if you have it saved uh, on iTunes or Spotify or Amazon or Stitcher or Podbean, whatever you use to listen to, to podcasts, it will automatically pop up as a new, as a new podcast um, called Seahawks Forever. So you don't have to do anything. Um but this will be my last solo show, and then the three of us will get together Friday. So you'll want to tune in for that. Uh, just wanted to touch on a few things today, though, because we haven't talked since last Monday. Going to go over a couple of things. First of all, my thoughts on what the Seahawks moves the last couple of days might mean. Do they give us some clues as to what their approach might be this offseason? Several veterans have been extended this week. They're starting to put some pieces in place, getting ready for free agency and the draft. I'll also give you my latest feelings about the Seahawks QB situation and why I may be changing my mind, opening my mind, certainly, but maybe changing it, not just about what I want them to do, but what I think they might be leaning towards. And then I'm going to finish it up uh, with a segment that I'm going to call as we move forward in the next couple of months, mocking the mocks. Um, Sounds derogatory. Not always. And today it won't be going to take a look at a, a mock draft. I'll, I'll be evaluating and giving my thoughts on other people's mock drafts. Um, this one from Michael Sean Duger of the athletic uh, who covers the Seahawks for the athletic knows him as intimately as anyone out there and uh, found some really interesting things in the approach that he took. And so we'll break that down a little bit as well. Um, first, let's do this. Uh, so we got news yesterday that the Seahawks have re-signed right guard Phil Haynes to a one-year $4 million contract uh, with incentives making it possible that he will earn $5 million. What does this mean? Um, it could mean everything, and it could mean very little. And, and I'll take those two in reverse order. When I say it could mean very little, we know we're going to hear the word competition. And as it stands right now on the roster, it's Phil Haynes and Gabe Jackson. Gabe Jackson, the veteran who was acquired from the Raiders two years ago in a trade and then extended, 
has not played exceptionally well the last two years. And in fact, this last year basically shared the position with Haynes. Jackson took more reps, um, but then also got banged up later in the year. And, and there were some times that Haynes got more snaps. Haynes just finishing up his first contract. I think he's 27 years old. Uh, had just read a story the other day. Um, I think it was on CBS Sports breaking down some under the radar free agents that might really give good value to other teams out there without breaking the bank. And Phil Haynes was listed on that. Um, was seen as a guy that had a ton of upside. Seahawks always liked him. Um, there was a time a couple of years ago when there was an injury at left guard and he had to come in for an extended period of time and and the uh, the running game really took off when he was in there. But his first two years in the league had a hard time staying healthy, staying on the field. Didn't seem to be as much of an issue last year, obviously not playing full-time. $4 million doesn't sound like a lot of money, but to me, that's starter money. And it means to me that they are looking to Phil Haynes to be the primary starter at right guard. They still have Phil Curran or uh, Jake Curran, who has played well at a couple of different positions, but was in the competition last year at right tackle and right guard. Still under contract. It tells me that they, they think Haynes is going to be the guy. One, two... Um, the Gabe Jackson release that we have talked about for months as one of the most obvious ways that they can save some money against salary cap this offseason is inevitable. In fact, I wouldn't expect that they would take all that long in making that decision. Seahawks tend to do right by their players, letting them go before free agency starts in earnest in mid in mid-March would give them the opportunity to get out there and, and find a new team. Here are the numbers. And here's what's interesting about this move as well. Gabe Jackson's base salary last year was six and a half million. Uh, and then his prorated signing bonus of essentially 4.8 million counted against the cap for a total cap number, number of $11.3 million. If he's cut, doesn't matter before June 1st or not. He's not one of those guys where you have to manipulate that. If he's cut today, they lose that prorated signing bonus to dead money, but they save the entire base salary. So it's a total savings of $6.5 million against the cap. But it's actually a little bit more than that when you take the two moves in context together. Phil Haynes made $2.5 million last year. So let's do some quick math, something I don't often do on this show. He gets a $1.5 million raise. You take that away from the, the savings by cutting Gabe Jackson and the Seahawks clear $5 million from the books and lock up their 2023 starting right guard, presumably. Now that, that savings obviously becomes only $4 million if Haynes were to achieve his, um, his incentives. So you save money and you solidify a spot. This also impacts the draft, potentially. I don't think it eliminates the Seahawks from taking a guard high in the draft, end of day one or day two. Especially, you know, John Schneider came on the radio two weeks ago and said, we're going to take best player available. That is our approach. We, we reached for need too many times in the past. We are going to take best player available. So if they're sitting at 20 or they move down from 20 and there's an interior offensive lineman there that they love, this wouldn't preclude them from taking him and continuing to add young bodies to that offensive line, which now is set youth-wise and, you know, very friendly against salary cap at both tackle spots with the drafting last year of Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, of course. Brings up some questions, though. While it may take that need away from the draft, which opens up a lot of possibilities. You know how often I do mock drafts. I've shared a bunch of them on here. If you follow me on Twitter, you're probably sick of how many mock drafts I share. And you haven't even seen <laughs> the entirety of the mocks that I share with friends of the show, Michael Thompson and Eric Briggs. It's pretty prolific. And 
almost always, I'm trying to hit on center and guard in the first three rounds, the fourth or fifth at the latest. If you take that need away, it really opens up some possibilities and and, and allows you to address either uh, a position that a lot of fans might think is a luxury, wide receiver, tight end, running back. It also allows you to double dip or dig in harder into this defensive draft. In theory, assuming that Haynes is the guy now, Uh, four-fifths of your starting offensive line is retained. There's a lot of continuity on that offense. Don't have to worry about your receivers. Tight end group is solid. Running backs are taken care of. They're going to add a running back this offseason, whether that's bringing back Rashad Penny or not. But a lot of continuity there. What they do at center in the next couple of weeks is going to tell you a lot. Keep your eye on Austin Blythe. Um, His performance last year was a mixed bag. Steady at times. Um, Certainly fits that, that, that zone blocking scheme. You can get out and move. But it became more and more evident late in the year that teams were attacking the inside of that offensive line. In particular, when Gabe Jackson was in the game and, and Blythe, because for, for a solid and, and serviceable, a veteran as Blythe is, really lacks that strength, that base to go up against guys that he has to in this division. Guys like Eric Armstead and Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt for his retirement, right? And so it's a position the Seahawks haven't really addressed in a big way in a long time. It's something that is right up there on Twitter. I can tell you from interaction I get with fans as a massive priority this year in the draft right up there with defensive front seven. I'm regularly taking John Michael Schmitz or Joe Tippman, one of the top two centers in the, in the first or second round. And I'm not saying if the Seahawks sign Austin Blythe tomorrow, that it means they think they have that position locked up. Remember Kyle Fuller, the backup center, also an unrestricted free agent. He made 1.2 million last year. Blythe made 4 million last year. It doesn't necessarily mean the Seahawks think that everything is locked down. It may just mean they're hedging against how the draft falls and making sure they keep some continuity. And I'll come back to that in a little bit because that could mean one of two things. But Austin Blythe didn't do himself any favors. He came out on record shortly after the end of the season and said, He's only 31. He said, I'm thinking about retiring. If I do continue playing, it will only be in Seattle. Not exactly a great point of leverage for Austin Blythe. So maybe the Seahawks can even get him for less than $4 million or sign him to a two-year deal with a lower year one cap hit, maybe a void year or two. They could still draft a center. They could still draft a center high and just not have to count on him as a day one starter. Or Blythe can be a guy that is just a really, really good, he's a great guy in the locker room, knows that scheme, good communicator, would be a great guy for a young center to learn from. So maybe he's not the starter day one, but he's a guy that can that can come in in a pinch as a quality backup. And I think he's even played some guard in his career as well. Uh, it does potentially free up some draft capital, the signing of of Haynes. And we'll see what happens with Blythe. Again, um, John Michael Schmitz, uh, the consensus number one center in the draft, had an interesting conversation with Rob Staten, who I'm sure a bunch of you are fam- familiar with. Um, I've had him on my show before. We'll have him on my show again. Um, he's a terrific Seahawks analyst uh, and podcaster and writer from across the pond. Uh, Seahawks draft blog, if you want to read that. Um, I posted a mock where I took Schmitz at the end of the first round. I think I even traded down, took him at like 26 or 27. And Staten didn't like it. Said he, he doesn't see any great strength or any great athleticism there. Um, my answer to him was maybe it's because he makes it look easy. I mean, he was head and shoulders 
the best offensive lineman at the Senior Bowl. I just looked like an NFL veteran, looked like a day one starter. Um, I do like uh, Joe Tipman out of Wisconsin as well. He's stronger. He He's a beast. He's a mauler, but he also moves really well for a guy of his frame. Uh, Luke Whipler out of Ohio State is a day two guy potentially. And then if you want to wait until the fourth or fifth round, I really like Alex Forsyth out of Oregon. He's a guy that can, that can move and fits that scheme and might be a little younger, slightly bigger, slightly stronger version of Austin Blythe. First snap I watched of him, he was uh, pulling off tackle as a center. Really got out quickly. Um, let's hope that's a car backfiring. <laughs> In the background there. Don't know if you heard that or not. Um, but but what could it mean as well? Um, continuity. I told you I'd come back to this. Continuity on offense is, is good for a number of reasons. Well, it's always good, right? Mike Holmgren, I'll never forget when he was general manager slash head coach of the Seahawks and, and got the general manager title stripped. His, I want to say his third or fourth season with the Seahawks. He came out and was really uh, transparent, open and honest about mistakes he thought he had made as to how he built the Seahawks roster. And I'll never forget this philosophy. He said, if I could do it all over again, um, I would have flipped it around. I went young on offense and drafted heavily on offense and signed veterans, older veterans on defense. He said that was exactly the wrong way to do it. You got to go young on defense. You need hungry young players who haven't been paid yet. But on offense, you need continuity. And I think it really applies to what the Seahawks are doing now. I think Mike Holmgren is going to like this 2023 roster. I mean, you talk about continuity. It's it's possible right now, especially if the Seahawks were to re-sign Austin Blythe, whether they draft a center, a guard, or not. It's possible that the Seahawks could start, take their first snap on offense in 2023 with the exact same offense that they ended 2022. That's rare. And that benefits a guy like Geno Smith because now continuity, your full-time starter comes back again. Your offense presumably is ready to go right out of the shoot. But what else would it benefit? It would also be a big benefit if you are injecting a young quarterback into that situation. What's the best way to ensure the best possible chance of a young quarterback succeeding as a rookie? Put him in a veteran offense with good weapons and a solid offensive line, a strong running game, right? That leads me to my next thought. Where do we stand with the quarterback market? All it is right now is conjecture, rumors, innuendo, whispers. Teams are starting to gather more information. We've had the all-star games. Teams have started to talk. Whenever they gather together, these GMs and these execs at places like the Senior Bowl and the Combine, there's agents there too. They talk. They share information. They start feeling each other out. John Schneider's as good as anybody in the NFL at putting his finger on what the market is. He has let good veteran players go into free agency before test their market, players that they wanted to retain and then brought them back because he knew it was safe to let them go out there. By the time free agency starts on the 15th, if Geno Smith isn't signed to an extension by then, John Snyder's going to have a pretty darn good idea about what his market is. And I'll say this, and John Schneider has said it, flat out was asked recently, is there a ceiling? Is there a number, as much as you love Gino and you've told us the talks are going well, you've told us you'd love to retain him and that's the plan, is there a number that's too high? And he said, yep. I mean, that's true of any player. We saw that with Frank Clark. We love Frank. Frank's a part of what we're doing. We want to keep him. We plan on keeping him. We're going to franchise tag him with the idea that we're going to work out a long-term deal. And then within about three weeks, the defensive end market exploded and it went above that number. They weren't willing to go there for Frank Clark, so they traded him. They weren't willing to go there for Jadavian and Clowney, and so they let him walk. We have no idea where this 
this merry-go-round, this musical chairs of quarterbacks in the NFL this offseason is going to land. David Carr is out there now as an unrestricted free agent. He's taking tours. There may be seven or eight teams reportedly that are interested in him. I think it'll be interesting to watch two markets. It'll be interesting to watch the market of Daniel Jones and also David Carr. And I don't think Carr's going to be in any hurry to sign. Although it may behoove him to get, to, to be signed first, take his first choice. Uh, and I love the overreaction from fans. First of all, we saw some overreaction. There, there are people on Seahawk message boards, Facebook pages, Twitter, that think $4 million is way too much for Phil Haynes, that he's garbage, and that the Seahawks need to draft a guy. Um, which I find ridiculous. There are still people that think that Geno Smith is a one-hit wonder, a flash in the pan, that what happened over a 17-game period next year is an anomaly and will never happen again, and that he's still quote-unquote garbage and not worth even 20 or $25 million. So Daniel Jones comes out. Well, he didn't come out. There was a report two days ago that, and the way the report was was worded, was that Daniel Jones, he's changed agencies this year, which may indicate he wasn't getting what he thought he wanted to get from the Giants in early talks. And so the report was that Daniel Jones may want as much as $45 million a year to which uh, the entirety of the NFL fan base laughed and probably quite a few executives as well. I mean, he, came, he, he changed his career trajectory last year, played well, but by no means did he look like an elite quarterback who can carry a team on his shoulders. Um, it, it just, the way people jump to conclusions and read into things so quickly is, is funny to me because I want $45 million too. Of course he wants that. How's it feel to want? Uh, I don't think he'll get anywhere near that. Um, he may get more than Geno Smith, even though Geno Smith's a better player, in my opinion. Far and away a better player. Um, because of the draft status, it's a thing. And it carries forward. And it starts the market. Uh, I will reiterate before I get into my next thought, just for the record, that I do think uh, that all those people that think Geno Smith is a flash in the pan, it was a one-hit wonder, um, are wrong. They're just flat out wrong. And as much as I try not to judge the way people fan, and I try not to get personal, and, try, and I try not to insult, it, it just kind of shows how little they really understand about football. As someone who's been around the game intimately for a very long time, and and not just covering the game, but also having people in my life, close friends who played in the league, having third-party connections with executives and people who are in NFL administrations, getting some of that information at times, working in an industry where I rub elbows with current and former athletes and get to have some really interesting conversations with them. If you're sitting at home, whether you listen to the show, watch this show or not, and you think Geno Smith is garbage. Your mind can't be changed. What happened last year was an anomaly. And there's no market for him. That no one's going to pay him $20 million. So if the Seahawks pay him 30 or 35, they're stupid. Uh, you're, not, you're not just wrong. You're ignorant. Because that's not the feeling around the league. At all. It's not. If Geno Smith gets to unrestricted free agency, he's going to make, I'll put it this way. If Geno Smith gets to unrestricted free agency, he will end up signing a contract that most Seahawks fans, even the ones that are in favor of keeping him, would cringe at. He would make a, <laughs> it's going to make some money. Geno Smith is legitimate. Even in little things, look, this may sound silly. But watching that flag football competition. Yes, it's flag football. But it's still, you know, it's very similar to what these young elite quarterback prospects are, are doing in these seven on seven leagues. Leagues where college recruiters are evaluating your skills. Um, the way he throws the football. 
the way the ball comes out of his hand, his accuracy, his placement, his arm strength, compared to the other quarterbacks that were playing in that game, night and day. Night and day. Um, and I also think that one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is that was his first year as a full-time starter on a good team. He's only going to get better. So with that being said, what's going to happen? Where are they at? The further we get into this thing, and the more I look at it, the more I think about it. A month ago, you've, you heard me on this show that I 100% expected Geno Smith to be tagged at the $32.5 million uh, non-exclusive rights franchise tag and that the Seahawks would ultimately work out a, a three-year to five-year deal with him, whether that includes void years or not. And he would be uh, the Seahawks starting quarterback that they would punt on quarterback this year, spend their draft capital on defense, and maybe look to take a young quarterback next year when it's a much better and deeper quarterback draft where you can get a guy on day two or three. I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure. In fact, I I might even be 50-50 at best on not, not what I want, but what I think the Seahawks may do. And here's why I think that. First of all, even if you sign Gino to a three or four year deal with a lower cap hit, and I think we've run some scenarios where you're talking a $14, $15 million cap hit in the first year, which would still allow the Seahawks, if they make some other cuts and other moves, some flexibility to sign some veterans. Even if you do that, it doesn't leave a lot. And there's a lot of work to be done. If the Seahawks really want to make up that ground and within the next one to two years compete with the San Francisco 49ers. Keeping Geno and just having one good draft, not signing any veteran free agents probably isn't going to get you there because rookies take time, man. And if you're going to go extremely young on defense like that with all rookies, man, that's a lot of learning curve to have to live with. I think they would like, I'm not talking about the top of the free agent market. They never tend to, well, not tend to, they just never play there. So forget about Javon Hargrave and Darren Payne and guys like that. But even those second, third tier guys that could significantly upgrade and solidify, raise the floor of this defense, they won't be able to do if they bring Gino back. I also look at it as simply and plainly as this. John Schneider has never had a pick this high in the draft. And in their minds, they're thinking they never will again because they don't ever expect to earn the fifth pick on their own. They expect to be successful. And they don't see another trade bringing something like that back in return as they did in the Russell Wilson deal. So regardless of what you think about this quarterback class, and all that matters is what John Schneider thinks about these four quarterbacks. Um, I guarantee you he's thinking about what if. What if? What if I can get my franchise quarterback, my next 10-year quarterback right now and surround him with enough talent and continuity to be successful as a rookie in this system if I fix that defense. And here we go. And so that's why the combine is going to be so important. And that's why these pro days are going to be so important. And here's another thing I would, I would ask of you or caution you. Whatever perceptions you may have about these four quarterbacks, Try to ignore them. Try to have an open mind. Because I don't know for sure if Will Levis or Anthony Richardson is going to be a good NFL quarterback. And I watch a ton of tape. And I read guys. And I watch analysis. And I talk to people who know. And I've... <laughs> And I know NFL quarterbacks and I don't know shit. 
I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And I think that's maybe what separates me from a lot of fans. You don't know if Will Levis is a turnover machine just because his 2022 was worse than his 2021 and because you read it somewhere. You don't know that Anthony Richardson is inaccurate just because of his completion percentage in 2022 and because you read somewhere else on the internet that he's inaccurate. You don't know. You don't know what these guys are like in practice. You don't know what they were asked to do. You don't know. You didn't know about Josh Allen. You didn't know about Lamar Jackson. You didn't know about Russell Wilson. You didn't know about Patrick Mahomes. Go back now. There's a bunch of it on Twitter these days from 2017. Guys sending out stuff that they tweeted from back then about how terrible Mahomes' footwork was. About what a wild card he was. Go back and read reports about Josh Allen. You don't know. But if John Schneider feels like he knows and he falls in love with one of these guys, I'm telling you, a quarterback at five is possible. And for those of you saying, I, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that, but Richardson at 20 is cool. Bring back Gino, take Richardson, Rich Anthony Richardson, regardless of what you think about him, ain't going to be there at 20. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. This is not last year's quarterback class. It's not. It got talked up because of need, but the league knew. They knew that Malik Willis was a cool highlight reel, but not an NFL quarterback. They knew. It's a rare opportunity for a GM who's never had a chance to draft that high. And if he thinks quarterback is it, especially if he's sitting there and Will Anderson, Jalen Carter are off the board. Because five might be a little rich for the rest of those defensive linemen. It might be. And I'm not talking about either or here either. I, If they do reach an agreement with Geno Smith. I'm still saying quarterback is in play at five. Because I I also think it's really plausible that this team looks at that pick as a fucking gift. As a goddamn gift from heaven. And that heaven being Russell Wilson. But here's the other thing. And I'll just touch on this briefly. If you're a mock drafter, as soon as you're done listening to the show, go to your favorite simulator. Or what I like to do is go between the three that are up and running right now. I, I go between mock draft database, pro football network, and PFF because their big boards are all different. Their rankings are different. And their top four is going different in their algor- algorithms. Gives you different scenarios and different looks. Take a quarterback at five. Whoever it is, doesn't matter. Take Levis, take Stroud. If all three of them are gone, the top four, take Richardson, just so you can see what it looks like. And then draft from there as if five had never happened. And you know what you'll find? You can have a second consecutive foundational defensive draft without five and still hit on some other needs. You can I do it time and time again because I think it matches up well with where the Seahawks needs are and where the meat of this draft is. Day two is solid and there's some good stuff in four and five too. And they can still do something with that number 20 pick. And and I've done a number of scenarios. You can move down slightly from 20 and pick up some value there too. And if you add all that together with maybe they don't have to draft a guard early on. Here's just a, quick example of something I did yesterday. Uh, took Will Levis at five. Again, Stroud and Young were gone. If you hate Levis, this doesn't matter. Just the fact that I used that fifth pick on a quarterback. At 20, Keon White out of Georgia Tech. Big, explosive edge. At 37, you've heard me talking about him before. We we did him in the mock draft last Monday. Keanu Benton, defensive lineman uh, out of Wisconsin. 
Jalen Carter light built about the same, just a physically strong, dominant interior defensive lineman at uh, pick number 51 in the second round, Jack Campbell linebacker, maybe the best interior linebacker in the draft, big six, five, two forty tackling machine. Also the top rated coverage linebacker in college football last year. In the third round, I took a receiver I really like who blew up the senior bowl, Jaden Reed, would be an outstanding wide receiver three candidate. Roshan Johnson, big running back out of Texas, backed up B. John Robinson um, and looked good in, in senior bowl practices before he got banged up in the fourth round. In the fifth round, Alex Forsyth, guy I mentioned earlier, is a center, really fits that scheme well. Uh, also in the fifth round, cornerback Julius Brents, a guy that Michael Thompson and I talked about last Monday. is a big, long Seahawk-type corner who was great at the Senior Bowl. And then the sixth round, I get Kenny McIntosh, the, the running back out of Georgia that I took in my mock last week. So there I just added uh, a big-time foundational long-term young edge, interior lineman, and Benton can play the five technique. He can play kind of that big 3-4 defensive end as well. Uh, middle linebacker. Receiver, running back, center, corner. Um, I double dipped at running back just because I went best player available in the sixth round. That gives you an example of what can happen. Taking a quarterback at five is not punting on the draft and it's not costing you an opportunity. Because look at it this way, man. I'm telling you, as much as I love Tyree Wilson, five might be a little high. Are you going to go Miles Murphy there? That's about it. Some people think Keon White might be worthy of a top 10 pick, might end up ascending to that. Lucas Van Ness, another guy, five might be high, but he might be in that 10 range. So maybe if you miss out on one of those quarterbacks, maybe three go in the top four and you don't like the fourth one, then you move down, you can take a defensive lineman. But Keon White at 20 has as much upside and as, and as much potential to have a Pro Bowl long-term foundational career the, the value of the 20th pick as those other guys would at five if you don't go quarterback. So why not take a shot? Um, speaking of mock drafts, uh, mocking the mocks. Let's take a look at what Michael Sean Duger did from The Athletic this week because I thought this was an interesting scenario and just how he constructed it. Very, very possible because we've seen John Schneider in his career move down a lot. He's known for that but also move up the DK Metcalf deal. They even moved up slightly to get Cody Barton. Uh, here's what Michael Shunduger of the athletic did. Uh, he did move down and pick up some extra picks, uh, traded down to nine with Carolina, which is a popular move for obvious reasons. It gets you good value, but also there's the connection with Scott Fitter or the GM there coming up through the Seahawks front office. And they're looking quarterback. So if one of the guys is still available at five that they like, it would make sense for them to jump up to five. Seahawks move down to nine. In that scenario, I just outlined. And there's Tyree Wilson, big, long, dripping with traits, athletic, edge player, can play defensive end and some outside linebacker out of Texas Tech at nine. Uh, and what they got for moving back uh, was pick number 61. So an extra second. Uh, a fifth round pick this year and a second next year, which gives you more ammo if you want to dip into quarterback next year. That pick could turn in to uh, Michael Penix Jr. Could turn into Sam Hartman. So interesting value there. Uh, and then... At 20, he stuck and he took Osiris Torrance, best guard in the draft, a guy that I've taken before and talked about on the show, big physical guard who moves way better than you would think he does at 6'5", 337. But this came out before the Phil Haynes news. So it might change what you do there. Then he took some of that extra draft capital and moved up back into round one and got the 30th pick from Philadelphia and took Zay Flowers, really dynamic slot receiver out of Boston College. Exactly the kind of player the Seahawks don't have, may have thought they were getting with D. Eskridge. Uh, so you end up with three first-round picks. But what's interesting about this is now imagine if you don't have to go guard at 20. And I, I can't see his entire board, so I don't know who was still on the board at 20 after that. That'd be interesting to see. Um, but maybe you don't have to go guard there. You got Tyree Wilson earlier on. Maybe you go, um, 
you can get one of the corners there. That's a really tight range there. And I know the Seahawks never take corners in the first. Well, it's because they haven't really had the luxury of taking a corner in the first. Or maybe there's a defensive tackle that they like that rises up boards and gets into that range that they could take there. Um, you know, or even though Phil Haynes was signed, maybe you still take a guy like Torrance and you just keep keep adding to that position. Now you get into the second round and he goes John Michael Schmitz at pick number 52, the center out of Minnesota. Almost universally, mock drafters are, are pairing Schmitz with the Seahawks, either at the end of round one or early round two. Um, and then at 61, Jack Campbell, for the same reasons that I was talking about. In round through, uh, <laughs> I worked on this pronunciation before I hit record, and now it's completely wiped from my head. Uh, Adetomawa Adebawar, defensive tackle on the Northwestern. Um, 6'1", 284. So not that the length that Pete Carroll talked about really admiring that, that the 49ers have with Armstead and those guys inside. Uh, but really, really dominated at the senior bowl. Uh, a guy that can penetrate and play the run well would be an interesting pick. And then day three, Josh Wiley, a pass catching move tight end type out of Cincinnati. Um, just kind of adding to that room moving forward. You're going to have some contract issues with tight ends after next year. So not a bad idea to add another one this year. Jackson Kirkland, who played tackle for the University of Washington, 6'6", 322, but some feel uh, can make the move to guard. So he's double dipping at guard and taking a center here. And then he goes Jake Hayner, the quarterback out of Fresno State. Um, I think he does some really good things here. Obviously, Tyree Wilson. Uh, these are guys that I've drafted many times to the Seahawks before. Zay Flowers is a fit. John Michael Schmitz, Jack Campbell. Uh, Adebo War, I think, is interesting and a guy that I'm going to watch more tape on. Don't love what he did on day three. I would have maybe taken a corner or safety. Um, maybe double dipped on edge uh, or linebacker. Maybe taking uh, a more athletic outside linebacker guy that can cover um, to pair with Campbell. This this draft is full of smaller linebackers. Uh, maybe take a guy like that later. Um, but I really like some of the things he did, and and mostly I like how he manipulated the draft board and moved around. I think that's more realistic than some of these stick and pick mocks. Uh, one thing I didn't talk about, um, Seahawks also reportedly have reached an agreement to bring Nick Ballore back again, which every single year, he seems like a luxury as a guy who's he's a fullback on the roster but doesn't play many snaps on offense. He's a special teams ace, former pro bowler as a special teamer, has played some defense too, although if he's playing linebacker for you, you're probably in bad shape. You don't want that to happen. Um. But again, just another veteran player brought back early, committing some some money, although not a huge raise for him, uh, just may give you some some indications as to what the Seahawks think they're going to do. I uh, got some comments coming in live on the live stream. Let's see if any of them are interesting enough. Uh, I think we need a QB. I think we're starting to see those two sides of the fan base polarizing. There are some who are firmly in favor of Geno Smith and just want to ride with that uh, and don't love this QB class. And there are others who just think we got to take one. We have to take a quarterback. Now that mindset, I'll say this, can get you in trouble. It's got to be the right one. Um, Phil Haynes coming back at four mil that gets to five with incentives makes it seem like they draft a center or a guy with center guard versatility. I like that idea out of a uh, divine comedy with that comment. Um, and then he says, if John takes best player available, he's literally going to take B. John Robinson at five. Uh, not a bad take. And if B. John Robinson drops to 20 because running backs are a bad use of draft capital, watch out. <laughs> watch out. Um, yeah, I, I like the center guard. I'm glad you mentioned that um, because that's a draft priority for me. Anytime I've taken, even if let's say, let's take Sean Michael Duger's mock example. Let's say you take somebody else at 20 other than Torrance, but you, you get Schmitz in the second, you've got Haynes coming back. 
yeah, I'd still like to draft a guard, but a guy that that not just projects to play center, a guy like Cody Mock out of North Dakota State who played some took some center snaps at the Senior Bowl and looked great at three different positions, not just a guy that might be a conversion project, because we've heard that about Haynes before, but a guy who's actually played games at center and guard. Uh, Ricky Stromberg is a guy that comes to mind out of Arkansas that's done that, that um, may project better as a guard, but has played a lot of center. The other one is uh, Oluwatimi out of Michigan has played some guard and center. Um, Andrew Voorhees is a guy out of USC you've heard me talk about that I love, that most people project as a guard, but he's actually even played some tackle. And he's, he's taken snaps at center before, and some people project him there. Um, I would love to add that in this draft and let Kyle Fuller walk. If you bring Austin Blythe back and you add an, a young draftee to that, but you also get a guard that's played some center too, I would love that kind of versatility. So I like that. Um, Tight end isn't a luxury. This is also from Divine Comedy. Uh, it's a major need. It's fans last year, and Disley's coming off his third major knee injury in four seasons, right? And Colby Parkinson's contract is up after this year, too. That's what I was talking about earlier. So a guy like Josh Wiley or any of these tight ends. Some of these draft analysts have said this is the best tight end draft overall in 10 years. So if you're talking best player available, at some point in this draft, you're going to get there. And there's three or four guys, maybe even five I've seen in some mock drafts going in the first round. Uh, but this tight end class is 12, 13, 14 deep. And it would make sense to take one of those guys. You know, Disley's knee injury may be more severe than than maybe the team has, has let on. Although they did uh, let the date go by a couple of weeks ago where his salary for this year gets guaranteed. So he won't be a, a cap casualty. Um, but you got to start thinking ahead. If you can take a guy later, maybe that would be safe to send to the practice squad. If you don't want to carry four tight ends on your game day roster, um, got to start thinking ahead because yeah, you don't know if you're ex- going to extend Fant beyond 2023 and the other two, their contracts are up. Uh, well, Disley's isn't up. I don't think after 2023, but uh, there is the injury history. Um, I think we need a quarterback at five. Let's see. Where did this go? Lots of comments. Love this kind of interaction. Uh, just to tell you this, as, as I move forward with the Seahawks Forever podcast in March, we'll be focusing um, as much, if not more, on the live stream aspect of the show than I will the audio podcast. So love the interaction. Uh, CFA says, I think we need a QB at five. Don't know why people keep saying next year you won't have a top five pick next year. Um, true. I think people are saying that, uh, a lot of people I've talked to say that, um, A, just because they don't want to use that pick on a QB this year because they don't love that class and they know that two, maybe three of those four are going to be gone. They don't like what's left. Um, but they also tend to like what Gino did. But also when they talk about next year, there's a little more insurance built into next year. This year, it's those four or bust. Tanner McKee out of Stanford starting to sneak into the back end of mock drafts at the first round and sneak into some top 50 lists. I don't want any part of Tanner McKee. If he's your QB five in this class, it's a bad class. But next year, not only are you as good, if not better at the top, right? Um, but, uh, but it's deeper because all the guys that stayed in school this year from NLI named a few Michael Penix, and Sam Hartman. Uh, it's just uh, Grayson McCall. There's, you might have eight to 10 guys next year that are legitimate. NFL QB prospects littered kind of throughout the draft staggered throughout day one, two, and three, where this year it's basically four and then maybe some backups. Um, <laughs> I wish I would have remembered what comment I was making when, uh, when this guy made this comment, uh, new gash at one o'clock said it wasn't a mixed bag. It was a bag full of shit. What was I, what did I say was a mixed bag? Interesting. Um, uh, CFA loves CJ Stroud. Uh, Divine Comedy says Staten way overrates testing. It's why he came up with uh, terrible ideas like trading up for Isaiah Simmons. Um, thanks for the comments, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to wrap it up on that note. Again, uh, we're going to talk about this on Friday with Dana 
and Brandon. Uh, I just want to thank the guys at Field Goals for giving me this opportunity. Thank Brandon for reaching out and suggesting me and, and connecting me with those guys to get the opportunity to, to host the Field Goals podcast uh, for one season uh, along with Dana. And uh, uh, appreciate all those guys' support and their contributions and look forward to working with them a lot more in the future. I'm going to have those guys on as regular guests uh, on the Seahawks Forever podcast, the writers from Field Goals. Uh, in my opinion, it's the best top to bottom Seahawks website out there that covers the team. Uh, whether you want to uh, lump them all together, the ones that are that you might call traditional news outlets or the ones that you might still refer to as blogs or fan sites, I think it's the best one out there. And I, it was an honor to be a part of it. And uh, and I, I, I feel like it's a privilege to take that subscriber base, all of you that, that watch and listen to the show and move forward with it as uh, the Seahawks Forever podcast progresses. So just stay subscribed and, and you'll be in. Um, continue to follow me on Twitter. And if you don't, it's at Seahawks Forever. Uh, my YouTube page, if you're watching this on live stream, uh, hit subscribe so you get notification of new episodes. And uh, the like button helps as far as... Uh, the algorithm and all of that as well. So got some cool things in the works and uh, onward and upward. So thanks for listening and watching and supporting and interacting. And I look forward to lots more of that when I get back from sunny, sunny, warm Arizona. But before then, keep your eye out and your ears out for Friday's show uh, with Brandon, Dana, and I as we say goodbye to the Field Goals podcast. Thanks again. If there is any breaking news over the next couple of days, I'll jump on and give you my thoughts. Otherwise, I'll talk to you Friday. Thanks.